Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode six of the UTC Real Estate Club podcast. I'm Tim Stone, my other host, Nick Galbraith here. Today we're interviewing Nate. He's a real estate investor. He lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we're going to go ahead and start talking about his life and what led him into real estate. So Nate, thanks for coming on. Hey man, thank you guys so much for uh, having me on, man. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you for coming so much. Uh, yep, so... So real estate, um, you know what, I mean, quite honestly, what led me to real estate was, I don't know if you guys know my whole backstory, but you know, I grew up in, okay, so I grew up in poverty, you know, um, my dad was an alcoholic, he was a railroader, he was gone all the time. Uh, we lived in probably like what would be kind of a middle class, lower middle class neighborhood. Uh, when they moved there in 1978, tells you guys how old I am. By the mid to late 1980s, it became low income. Um, crack cocaine took over and, um, you know, crack cocaine took over and my parents were alcoholics, so they didn't realize what was going on. We just kind of stayed in the community. Well, by 1990, I got sent away to military school. I was bad. I was acting out. Um, you know, I went there for a year, year and a half. By 1993, I was out. I came home. I started selling drugs. Um, I graduated from high school that year, 38% graduation rate. Um, you know, I caught my first drug case. I was selling crack. You know, back then I had a crack house. I was selling crack out of a crack house. I grew up in the ghetto. Um, you know, I think it was like 78% um, African-American. So there weren't many, you know, a whole lot of Caucasian kids around, but the neighborhood kind of flipped. My parents, like I said, they didn't move because of, they just weren't conscious to what was going on. So then I caught another drug case. I ended up going to prison. Um, I got out of prison, got another drug case, went right back to prison. Um, that was in my 20s. I got out. I didn't know what to do. I was totally lost, man. Nobody would hire me. I don't even think McDonald's would give me a job. I didn't even you know, bother applying. So uh, I went through my whole 20s. I was trying to figure out what to do. I sold drugs. I ended up you know, selling marijuana, bringing marijuana from um, Arizona. I made a lot of money. I made millions of dollars. And at the age of 29, I had a lot. Like when I say a lot, like I had a nightclub. I had everything that you could think that would bring you happiness. Um, cars, I probably had a half a million dollars worth of cars. I had, uh, but I was so miserable. And, and, and when I say miserable, I was really depressed because my whole life was just a lie. You know, here I am going around, and my whole life was just a lie. I felt like it was a total lie. Can't come out like, I love networking with you guys. Like, hey, I do real estate. Like, hey, I'm a drug dealer. You know, you couldn't do that. You had to be so secretive and hold everything. And that just wasn't my personality. So I didn't know what to do, man. I knew I was going back to prison. If I got caught, I was going to, you know, catch a Fed case and probably do 15 or 20 years. So I cried out to God. I was 29 years old, man. And I cried out to God. And he showed me real estate. And that's the truth, man. And within a week, I had bought two houses and completed my first Burr. Um, and, you know, you guys know I got the Burr group now. We got over 80-something thousand members in there. That's why I like to share my story, because back then I was doing a Burr. I didn't even know it. I just was buying, renovating, rent, refinancing, repeat, just doing it over and over and over. My first year, I did 10 properties. And that was me coming from being a drug dealer, never having a job, did 10 properties, pulled out over 350000 in cash, and my properties were still cash flowing about $2,000 a month. So I just, man, just uh, continued to accelerate and do that. In 2010, 
I got up and that was about 2004 when I cried out to God, 2005 when I bought my first property and 2010, I had about 250 units and I had um, industrial buildings and I was bankrupt. So, you know, it's like, I probably failed 20 or 25 times in business, man. And I just kept failing and getting back up and failing and getting back up. And if somebody would have gave me a job, I probably would have just took the job and probably just settled for a mediocre life. But since nobody would give me a job, I didn't really have an option. And I just, you know, I got, I got married. I met a wonderful uh, woman who I'm still married with today. Um, and, you know, life is great, man. And, you know, I own over $100 million in real estate, no formal education, just getting out here. And I want to show you guys how to do it. So I want to show all you guys how to do it, man. I, I give back. I don't, I don't care about, um, you know, somebody said something earlier, like, well, you know, you shouldn't show people all these errors. Like, man, I don't care. I've made enough money. I got enough money. I got enough passive income. I just want to see people win and succeed. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, brother. So you started out in single family. Did you make a transition into multifamily once you were starting to add on the units and, uh, Maybe a little bit after that, I want to talk about the hotels because you've told me a little bit about your hotel business. But what did it look like? Did you go from single family to multifamily? I know that's how a lot of people end up doing it. Yep. So, uh, you know, that's a natural progression. But what happened was I was so aggressive and just so good at what I did. And really, I was just good because I was just, uh, you know, I, I would just push until I got stuff done. That was it. I'm waking up and I got this list and I'm not going to sleep until it gets done. And then you have to figure out how to be a master delegator and how to work with people, how to motivate people um, to help you get stuff done. Um, and so, you know, you go, you buy a two family, you buy a three family, you buy a four family, and then naturally you buy a 10 family. Well, what happened with me was I had this guy um, that wanted me to be the construction manager of an area that we have called Over the Rhine, which was like really bad in 2006. It was the worst neighborhood in the country. I think there were 70 or 80 murders within a one square mile radius and coming in to work with the city to renovate it. And I was like, man, I believe this community. Well, now if you go down there, they got million dollar condos down there. So I was wrong about it. But at the time I was just really gifted at construction, didn't even realize it. Um, and so I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to do my multifamily, you know, and continue to grow. And he said, well, I got somebody that I need you to meet. Well, the guy he wanted me to meet was a uh, attorney at, he was a partner at one of the major law firms. And he had, what do you have, a 25 unit and a 41 unit. So whatever that is, 71 units, I think, or 70 something units. And he said, man, I need some help. I'm losing $10,000 a month. And can you, um, Brandon said that you're really good. And I was like, yeah, I can help, you know, cause I just was delusional. I would say, man, I'm delusional. And so um, I came in and just my mind kicked in. Okay, how do you cut costs? Okay, why are we spending so much money in gas? So I started, before anybody told me about energy audits, I just started doing these audits on them. Why are we using so much gas? How much gas should we be using? Why is our water bill so high? You know, what's the average person use? How many CCFs? Can we get these costs down? And I started driving down costs and driving up revenue. And within three months, um, I had the things breaking even and within four months I had them making money and I actually negotiated to turn these things around equity. I said, I'll come in and do it, man, but I want equity in the properties. I don't manage properties just for, and so once I hit the threshold, got equity in the properties. 
And um, that's how I really grew because that started putting me up. Now I got multifamilies that I'm learning how to manage on somebody else's dime. So I didn't really have to jump out and be like, oh man, I'm taking a big risk. And then once I had that under my belt, then I could go back to banks and say, hey, look, man, I'm managing over hundred units and you know, here, loan me money. Um, and here I have a proven track record. I have a system. Uh, but the one thing that was hard for me to transition was I didn't have any help. I was doing everything myself. So you got to have money, right? And so I went out and I did a flip on a property. I made like 40 grand. And I said, I'm going to set this 40 grand aside and I'm going to go hire somebody that's going to pay their salary for the year, right? And so you got to make them decisions to invest in yourself. And I realized that year I brought that person on board, paid them 40, 45,000, and I made 80,000 off of them. And I was like, wow, you know, you can make money off hiring people just. And so I just continued to grow and scale the company. By 2010, 2011, I was bankrupt and I'd lost everything. And then I had to learn how to negotiate with the banks, how to deal with the courts. Um, by 2013, I came out of bankruptcy. And by 2015, I had over 35,000 a month in passive income. Because once you learn this stuff, see, being a millionaire isn't necessarily having the money. It's having a mindset and an understanding you can do it over and over and over again. So. Mm -hmm. You can't take the knowledge away. You can't take the knowledge away and you only become better over time because you keep thinking different and you keep evolving your thoughts. Sure. Absolutely. That was amazing, Nate. Thank you for breaking hey man, well, down I, your story. Hey man, well, I hope it wasn't too R rated, man. I didn't get into the whole <laughs> owning the nightclub and having fun and going to spring break. But I'm sure you guys and your viewers are still doing that. So go have fun while you can, man. Enjoy life. Absolutely. And uh, Nate, just kind of going back to um, um, when you, you know, when you got bankrupt in 2010, what was that like? What, what was your mental stake like? Um, and just building yourself back up. Can you kind of describe that process and um, things you learned during that time? Well, I remember taking a stress test and they said, you start having a mental breakdown at about 450 and my stress test was up over 700, but I never felt like I was breaking down or never felt really highly stressed because you got to think that's all relative, right? It was relative to my previous life where if I got caught, I was going to jail for 20 years. So going to jail for 20 years versus bankrupt, it was like, it, you know, it sets you up to deal with a lot of stress. Like, mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess it was, I was just never, I was never really focused on um, failing. I was always focused on what is the solution? How am I going to get out of this? I had investors. How am I going to protect my investors' capital? Um, and, you know, so I came in, how am I going to negotiate with the banks? I ended up calling my partner now. I don't know if you guys know Mike Ely. You need to get him on your podcast. He does a lot of podcasts too. Um, you guys know Mike? I know the name, but I might just know the name from following you. Yep. So that's my business partner. I called him and said, Mike, I need help, man. So it was that same mindset. What is the solution? It was not, oh my goodness, I got to, you know, look to my wife and, and, you know, our agreement was, you know, we're going to have a raise a family. She's going to be a stay at home mom. That's what she wanted. I said, got you. And she saw that I was kind of going through it. And she said, Hey, um, you know, what happened was I had two industrial buildings. My multifamily did fine, um, about $20,000 a piece, the, the monthly mortgages on them. Well, both of the guys defaulted. 
and they defaulted because the accounts that were paying them defaulted. So there was really nobody to go after. You know, I could waste a lot of money and time going after them and suing them, but there was no hit. And then there was no way to release them. And I had personally guaranteed all that. So it was just a tough time. But my wife, she stepped up and said, hey, do you need, you want me to go get a job? Because my wife, she had a, you know, a decent career before I met her. And that just really, really like, uh, I never told her that, but that really like kicked me in gear. Like, no, that wasn't the agreement that we had. You know, I know you're not going to be happy there. And I got to, I got to deal with my part. So that motivated me to just go out there and figure it out and work extra hard. I mean, it's working 17, 18, 19 hour days. I didn't even care. Just knew that I was focused on a goal of financial independence, bankruptcy, you know, helping the banks out as much as I can, protecting my investors and still trying to make enough money to pay our monthly bills. Absolutely. And, and Nate, did you have two kids at the time when, when you I were had, bankrupt or when did your beautiful kids come along? Yep, I did. I had, so I had an older kid who's 28 now. Um, and then also had Caden who was, Caden was about maybe, you know, he was born at 06. So, and then my daughter was born in 2012. So kind of was, she was right there kind of coming out of bankruptcy when I had all these dreams and I was still bankrupt, but I had all these dreams and ideas on how I was going to buy hundreds of units. And um, so, you, you know, we lived in a modest house back then. It was a, you know, a couple thousand square foot house. And, um, you know, we came out of that bankruptcy quick, man, and made a lot of money quick because of the knowledge. And because my investors believed in me too. You know, I, I never, I never, uh, um, you know, missed them. and um, so they gave me more money and that really helped accelerate my growth. Cool. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for breaking that down, Nate. Nah, man. Thank you. Unpacking guys, that. Yeah. Let's go. So the, the one thing I'm really excited to hear about is how you're sort of taking the burst strategy into the hotel space. Is that something that started with COVID? Were you doing that before COVID? Um, like, like where, did, where did the hotel idea come from? So about 2015, um, my partner, Mike Ealy, which you guys make sure you, you know, he's on social media. He's, he's big. He's bigger than me. But, um, you know, Mike's been doing social. I just started really doing social media this year. So, uh, you know, we got, we've grown our group from like 27,000 to 80-something thousand this year just by going in and giving out free content. Um, but the whole hotel idea came from my partner, Mike. And by 2015, I think I had, man, in two years, I had over 35000 a month in passive income. You know, in two short years. That's how quick you can make money in real estate. Mike wanted to move and do hotels. And I was like, man, I just got crushed. Like, I'm scared. I don't want to do anything except what I'm doing. So Mike said, well, look, man, I'm going after this hotel. And Mike went out and he put together a team and he won a $75 million RFP, uh, which is a request for proposal on a new hotel site that they were building. And I was like, Mike, why do you want to do hotels? He said, man, because all the people in multifamily, yeah, they got money, man, but they always uptight. He was like, man, all my buddies I know that own hotels, that owns a lot of hotels, probably now several hundred. But back then, uh, you know, he's good friends with a famous uh, NFL player my partner Mike is with Jerome Bettis and they were down there in a luxury suite. And the guy he was with in the suite with owns part of the Atlanta Hawks, but he's a hotelier. And so they're down there and they're talking. He says, Hey man, how's your hotel doing? And he said, which one, Mike, I got 70 of them. 
And he was like, whoa. He said all these hotel people were just always happy. So that's when he wanted to get in. He won that RFP. Um, and unfortunately, finally, or maybe fortunately for him, and he called me up after that project. He lost several hundred thousand dollars of his own personal money in just doing due diligence, drawings, but he understood the process. And he called, he said, Nate, man, I really need you over here in these hotels because I'm aggressive and I'm gonna push and I'm gonna push and we're gonna brainstorm, we're gonna figure out solutions. So uh, that was about 2016 and we went on the path of learning about hotels, which I learned pretty quickly, but it took me some time to get over the hurdle and understand them. You're doing the same thing, you're burning hotels. All you're doing is you're creating value, you're adding value, you're going in, you're renovating them, you're pushing rents through better operations, you're pushing average daily rates, you're pushing revenue, you're going back, you're refinancing them, you're getting your investors all the cash back. It's all the same, it's just different asset class. And hotels, quite honestly, you're talking Hilton, Marriott's, Hyatt's, they're a lot easier to scale in uh, than apartments because apartments are more, you know, like, man, I probably had 50 or 60 things that I had to do today for apartments. For our hotels, I had none. None. Other than I had to, I look at the reports every day. I look over my email first and look at how much money we do last night. Start looking through the hotel reports. That's it. Awesome. So you've got, you've got the whole management team put together, the renovation team and everything, and you just go out there and hunt the deals? We hunt the deals. I mean, we make sure that the renovations are being done. We or that the decisions that are being made on them are, are, you know, I mean, we look at reports and say, hey, look, why is this out of whack? Why is that out of whack? You know, we had a sign blow off one. They wanted 16,000. We said, no, you know, we found somebody for 9,000. Uh, we just had some kitchen equipment. We had, I mean, you're making decisions, but for the most part, your decisions are made um, based off your hirees, who you're hiring, how they're going to run it, what the whole financial plan is going forward, how you're going to run the hotel, how you're going to market the hotel, what the company is doing, um, what you're going to do to get more rooms out of the competitive set and a higher daily rate, what kind of tournaments, I mean, how are we going to push revenue in this thing? And that's all strategy and us coming in more as board members. Um, and then we partnered with the group that has about $2 billion worth of hotels. So we brought them in as partners and they helped run everything for us. And then we brought in a group out of Atlanta that we're partnering with that also has their own millworks that brings everything in from China. So we can get, you know, much larger returns for our investors. Wow. That's amazing, so Nate. It's the same thing, man. It's a house. It's a hotel. It doesn't matter how much revenue do you got coming in. And really, when you break down real estate, here's all it really is, guys. You're buying something that gets a six or a seven percent return that you can push to an eight or a nine. And you know, because based off of the amount that you have, better operations. You're borrowing the bank's money at three or four percent. That's it. You're making a spread off the bank's money. Then on a back 20, 30 percent that you got to put down, you're making a return. And then you're also pushing revenue, which is gonna create more value when you go to sell it off and creating a high internal rate of return. Absolutely. And, and what's, um, and can you kind of break down um, a high, I mean, not, not a high, but an internal rate of return to our listeners, Nate? I'll break it down without making it too complicated. So internal rate of, here, I'll, I'll use it like this. 
So let's say that you bought a $100,000, right? And your $100,000 house was in an area um, where you could get, you know, $1,100 in rent. Well, 1,100 times, or let's say $1,000 in rent. 1,000 times 12 is 12,000. Let's say you're running 90% occupancy. That's going to be $10,800 in gross operating income. Let's say that it, you know, it costs you $35,000 or $4,000 a year to run that house. So now you got nine, eight, seven, sixty-eight hundred dollars net operating income, right? Now let's say you go to the bank. You guys understand that so far? Mm-hmm. Let's say you go back to the bank. And sorry, I'm doing this all in my head. I don't have a calculator with me. You go to the bank and say, hey, I need to borrow a uh, hundred thousand to buy this house. They say, no, 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 we're gonna let you borrow eighty thousand. You gotta put twenty thousand down, right? So you're putting twenty thousand down. The bank's putting eighty thousand down. Let's say the bank's charging you four percent on the money. Four times eight is what thirty-two. So you're paying thirty-two hundred. It's got sixty-eight hundred coming in. You got you know thirty-six hundred dollars in cash flow coming in. Now some of that's going to be principal reduction, which you guys know what principal reduction is, right? Mm. Does your viewers know what principal reduction is? Go, go if you can explain it. Yeah. So what what principal reduction is is so when I said you got thirty-six hundred dollars a year coming in. Some of that's going to be cash and some of that's going to be principal reduction, which means you don't owe 80,000 next year. You owe, it went down to maybe 78,000. So you pay $200, $150 off a month, right? Paying down the loan. So paying down the pay down of the mortgage, correct. So you got 3,600, let's say $3,600 um, and the property went up 5% that year. So 5% of 100,000 is 5,000, right? But you only put 20,000 down. You follow me? So mm-hmm. if you put 20000 down and it went up 5000 but the bank put up uh, 80% of the money, does the bank get 80% of that 5000 is up? They get none of it. So your 20000 alone, uh, if you allocate your 20000 to the 5000 and went up, that's a 25% return just based off your equity. Plus, you got $3,600 in cash and principal reduction. So if you take the 5000 to $3,600 and you add them two together, and you were to sell it year one, you divide them, that's 40 something percent return on your capital year one. Cause you're not worried about the whole deal. You're worried about the 20,000 you put up. So I don't know if that's too complicated, but like I said, I don't have a calculator with me. No, that was perfect. Yeah. You sure? yeah thank you, Nate. I yeah, know it's kind of- it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a complicated concept, but I think you explained it perfectly for what it is. Um, and uh, Nate, Nate, if you mind me going into um, your bird community and kind of talking about that, um, growing that uh, community and just um, what's your every, everyday, uh, everyday like with um, all your members in that community, just, you know, giving feedback and kind of um, um, talking about that process and how you've built that, that culture. It's kind of diving into that, if that makes sense. Hey. Yeah, absolutely. It was not about, um, so the whole culture was not about, coming in there, selling stuff. I mean, we get people that want to sell stuff all the time. They want to advertise in there. Um, they want to post things, post uh, houses for sale. And we're like, look, man, not what that's about, man. This is about education. This is about creating value for people. And um, there's a hundred other sites out there that allow you to do that. But with ours, we just wanted the viewers I mean, uh, we wanted the members to be able to interact with other members and them ask real questions like, 
man, how do you get this done? How do you get that done? Now, what I realized over the past three or four months is one of the things that they really need is a lender. So we do have a, are actually out of Tennessee too, man. I'll hook you guys up with them down there. They're out of Nashville, but they have like $28 million that they want to lend to our group and they'll do hundred percent. Um, so, you know, but I don't want anybody just coming into the group and, you know, cause I don't know, I haven't vetted them. I don't know who they are. I do know the challenges that a lot of people face because I have those same challenges. So really it's just about going in there every day, helping answer their questions, being positive, you know, not saying, Hey, that's a stupid question. Like we don't really allow that. Like, Hey man, don't do that, man. Like you don't know where that guy's at in his life. And I'll tell you guys another story too, man. It really set my heart was that, um, I was out one day and I had a guy come up to me and he was crying, man. And he jumped over Nate and he started hugging me. And I'm like, he was like, man, you saved my life. Right. And I'm like, man, I don't even know who this guy is. So I'm listening to the guy and he was like, man, you know, you gave me some positive words of encouragement and, you know, you may not know it, but I was getting ready to go kill myself that night. I'd already was going to go kill myself. And so I realized then that the words that we speak can be so powerful. Sometimes they can be so little to us, but they can mean so much to so many people. And then I just asked God, I said, man, God, I just need you to use me as a vessel to go out and reach people for you. Um, and so even though I don't try to push a lot of religion, I don't want to do that because then you push people away. Um, that is my, that is, that is where I'm grounded at. And that is where I want to be able to come in and help people and just show them empathy and have everybody else show them empathy and just, you know, be positive and show them and give them words of encouragement. Cause sometimes that one word of encouragement can help somebody get to such a powerful place in their life. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nate. So do, awesome. Do you have any other exciting projects going on you'd like to talk about? Um, it can be, it can be real estate. It can be business, anything um, other than the hotels. Well, you know, I got a course coming out later on this month. Um, you know, the bird group, you know, just, we got a lot of stuff, good stuff going on there. I mean, hotels, we'll probably buy a billion dollars worth of hotels over the next three or four years. Hotels are really cheap right now. You can get them a really good price. Um, you know, I got a, a lot of apartments, great partners in apartments, but quite honestly, I don't really want to do any more apartments right now. The prices are high. Um, you know, just, man, giving back to people, man, you know, getting out, we're going to do seminars and, just help people, man, show them we're going to form these in every city um, with this course that we're that, that we have going on. It's going to put somebody that understands construction, somebody that understands property management, somebody that can find and somebody that understands finance and or has capital. We're going to partner all them up in every city across the country, uh, every, you know, major MSA city and a lot of the tertiary markets. And we're going to give them the support they need to here and succeed. So, you know, once you learn how to make a lot of money, it becomes a lot easier. But, you know, I think that that would be shallow. Just really for me, I feel like my purpose is to give back to people and show them how to do it because of how hard I struggle. And, you know, um, people said, man, did you ever feel like giving up? I said, man, several times a day I felt like giving up. But I couldn't because who was I giving up on? I wasn't giving up on myself. I was giving up on my wife and my kids and my partners and my investors. So that wasn't an option, but um, 
here and, and just being a positive influence to people and letting people know you can do it. I don't care what circumstances you come from. You can rise above that. Absolutely. And I especially, and I especially love you millennials, man. All you guys are millennials or you guys are Gen Z's, aren't you? Maybe. I don't even know. I'm somewhere in between, I guess. <laughs> no, nah, man, you're what? If you're if you're below 27, you're a Gen, uh, Gen Z, man. Okay. So, yeah. Or was it 24? No, 24. 24, you're a Gen Z. Yeah, I think I think Tim's 20 and I'm 22. And uh, so you guys are Gen um, Z's. There's 67.1 million of you guys. <laughs> and you guys are going to start buying houses in the next five years. And that's going to get even more demand for the housing market until, unfortunately, the baby boomers start passing or start going into, you know, skilled care or nursing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Nate, kind of diving into that, um, of, of kind of, I've, you know, once you said that, I've kind of started visualizing in my mind of um, what you think the next five years will look like. Do you kind of have anything else you'd like to elaborate on the future of, you know, Gen Z's buying houses in five years and, um, you know, kind of a, a iffy topic but um the baby boomers kind of um passing and what that will kind of shape like for the the real estate to come in the future it could be five ten twenty years do you have anything else to elaborate on that of your vision yeah yep so uh well the one thing what was it they said that they are um they didn't say passing they they try to say it politically correct they're going to be they're going to be phasing out just tell me i'm going to die you know um (laughs) But no, man, I think what's country right now, guys, and I think that this is why I think it's a prime time to buy. If you go back and you study the late 70s and early 80s, um, the economic policies and what happened back then was you had massive inflation. And why did you have massive? Well, you had the baby boomers, right? There were 78 million of them. And all of them were coming out and they all needed houses. And then you had the oil OPEC and we came off the gold standard. But all that being said, I think that, you know, in April, we saw 4.2% CPI uh, inflation. In May, we saw 5% inflation. Um, What the government did back in the 1970s to combat inflation was they gave everybody a pay raise because the government doesn't understand that when you do that, you're going to compound effect of inflation. So right now I'm looking for this, you know, the government to step in and do a $15 minimum wage. If they do that, we're going through massive inflation. And what that means, if you own a lot of real estate, it's good. And um, so I, I think that regardless, you know, over here where I live at, man, every anybody can make $14, $15 an hour. I don't know where, what part of uh, Tennessee are you guys from? Chattanooga. So you, you Chattanooga is a good market too. I did some research down there. And so I think almost every market seeing that there's a hedge. Uh, what that means is that, you know, prices are going through the roof. I mean, I got a, I got a Dodge Viper. I got a Dodge Viper. My partner Mike bought me last year, man. I think he paid about 60,000 for it. It was a 97. That thing's worth over 115, over 110,000 right now. It's insane. The inflation that we're starting to see. The, the house inflation that you're starting to see, um, the cost to build houses is through the roof and not just because of lumber. It's because in the 1980s, that was really the last of people that went in and said, you know what, I want to be a plumber. I want to be an electrician. I want to be HVAC. So there are no more skilled tradesmen out here. Skilled tra- 
50 bucks an hour now, maybe 60 or 70, depending on if you're HVAC and plumbers and electricians. Um, so it's going to be really hard to build enough property to meet demand. On top of that, you have, uh, you know, all these old houses that are, you know, kind of just being dilapidated, they've got to be rebuilt, them cost $100, $150 a square foot to renovate. But the main thing that I want to stress is that the government, the only way I see for them to get out of debt is through inflation. Let me explain. The government, the way that the government makes their money is based off what the GDP is. They tax GDP. So our GDP is our gross domestic product, all services and goods. Now, we already, I think we can all agree that we can't produce more services and goods because we can't get people to work, right? You guys agree? Yeah. Absolutely. How do you increase GDP? You inflate the numbers. <laughs> Boom. Now, if you go into Honda's $80,000, I mean, now instead of you having $22 trillion GDP that you tax at 30%, that's $6.6 trillion. You let inflation run wild, right? And if you can let inflation run 6% for four years and compound on each other, and you can peg the bond rate at 1.5%, which who's in charge of pegging the bond rate? The, the Federal Reserve, come, no, well, the Federal Reserve, which is a private entity, comes in and they'll buy the bonds, right? And they'll mm -hmm. buy, if they buy all the bonds, and you say, hey, we'll buy them at two. They say, there's no need for us to give two because we got buyers at one and a half, right? Even though it's not a real buyer, they're just increasing their balance sheet. I think their balance sheet went from $4 trillion to $9 trillion in the past you know, 15 months or whatever. So if you can create that scenario, then you just inflated away 20% of the debt through inflation. So if we get to a $40 trillion GDP through inflation and you're able to tax that at 30%, now the government has $12 trillion a year in their general fund, right? Then you can start paying off debt. Maybe 40 trillion is a lot. Maybe it's only going to go to 30, 35. But I think the government needs inflation. And I think that's why right now they came in and they saw inflation was high. Instead of raising interest rates, they said, no, nah, no, nah, we need to let it, we need to let it kind of be two or 3%, not just for one year, but for several years. So I think you're going to see them big spikes like you did back in the 40s and the 70s. And then ultimately what's going to happen after that Prices are going to raise, and the government's going to have to push interest rates way up, maybe double digit up, to bring the economy to a screeching halt like they did in our late 70s and early 80s. You know, a lot of people don't know, we were at 18% back then on home mortgages. They had to do that to kill the economy, to bring it to a screeching halt. Otherwise, we would have went into hyperinflation. Hmm. So that's what I think is going to happen. Um, there are a couple of scenarios I see that could keep us out of that. But I really think the government needs inflation, so they're going to cause it. Yeah. And the one thing you can look for, if they come out and they initiate that $15 hour minimum wage, which Chipotle came out the other day. You guys like Chipotle, don't you? Mm, that's delicious. Let's go. So they came out <laughs> and said, hey, they said, we're going to raise menu prices for uh, whatever it was, 4%, because we have to give everybody 15 an hour. Now, what do you think is going to happen? You think they're just going to be okay with that? Well, next year, they're going to come out, and the next six months, they're going to say, hey, you know, our tomatoes cost more and it costs more for the drivers to drive the stuff here and our cheese costs more and our farmers, uh, you know, the pigs and everything costs more. So now we already raised once for what wages. Now we're going to have to raise again because the suppliers are going to have to raise their rates. So that is a dual effect of the, uh, a compounding um, inflation that I think we're going to see. Hmm. Uh, Absolutely. A, a concept that I recently 
became aware of, which is sort of what you were talking about, that inflation is good for the government because they're in debt. It's good for people who are holding real estate with debt on it because the amount you owe to the bank is not going up, but the value of your property is going up. So say, say you bought a house for 100,000, you have a loan for 80,000. Well, now over the next 10 years, if inflation bumps it up, even to you know, 150, 200,000, you still only have the $80,000 loan and now you have all this equity. So in a way it's good for real estate. It also inflation pushes rents up, but then the whole economy is also being inflated at the same time. But, uh, yeah, you, you really have any more buying power if you're at the bottom. You know, your $15 an hour is like $8 an hour. You may see a year or two where you feel like you got more before you see these prices increase. But once they start to increase, you know, and that's why I tell people, listen, man, don't think you can. I don't care if you make two, three hundred an hour. You cannot work your way to retirement. You have to invest your way to retirement. And so that's why I got a course coming out, man. It's called B. It's called the Burr Academy. And I can show anybody how to be a millionaire in five years, starting off with 20 grand, because it's the same concept. We're going to find areas that are going to go up 5% a year. You're going to burr these properties. Uh, you're going to be all in for 120. It's going to be worth 160, which is pretty easy to do. Um, and you could go sell that property off for 160 and do a flip. And you're going to end up netting about 25,000 before taxes because you got to pay your realtor fees, your closing costs, so on and so forth. 160 minus 10,000 in closing costs and 10,000 realtor fees and closing costs. You're at 145. So you made 25 grand. You follow me? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, after you pay tax, you're going to pay 30% because that's short-term capital gains. You're going to walk away with about 17 grand. Now, if you would have kept that same house, it was worth 160. You go do an 80% loan, which is 128. You're going to have 2,000 in closing costs. You were in it for 120, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got 6,000 cash out. You're not paying any taxes on that. Plus you had cash flow, let's say $200 a month cash flow for 60 months. That's 12 grand, right? Mm -hmm. Then your property went up. We can identify areas that are going to go up 5% a year, $160,000 house that goes up 5% a year compounds on itself is worth 204,000. So now you got a $204,000 asset. You borrowed 128 with your principal reduction, assuming you had a 30 year at about 4%, you only owe 115 on it. So that's $89,000 right there that you made, right? Mm -hmm. plus, plus you made 6,000, your cash out refi, you're at 95 grand, plus let's say another $12,000 that you made off of your cash flow, right? That's $107,000. And you paid no taxes on any of that money. Mm -hmm. 100, you want $107,000 or do you want the 17,000? And the way what I'm doing is show people how to do this over and over and over and over and over again. And if you do 30 of them in five years, which you're going to do two, four, six, eight, ten, two the first year, then four, then six, then eight, you're, you're a millionaire, right? And you can retire with seven to $9,000 a month in passive income. It's not rocket science. You know, I'm going to show, you, show people in the course everything. I'm going to give them our spreadsheets, how to deal with the contractors, how to deal with the vendors, um, you know, how, what type of materials you should order, how you inventory your orders. I mean, everything. So I just want to see you guys win, man. Yeah. So th there's an important thing. I was, I was talking to a friend yesterday about the Burr strategy because he has a property here in Chattanooga and he didn't realize that when he does the cash out refinance, that check that he gets from the bank is a loan. So he does not have to pay taxes on it and he can just take that and go buy another house. 
So that's, that's an important thing I wanted to mention because some people maybe don't realize that. That it's Absolutely. not paying taxes like you would on a flip because the bank is loaning you the money. It's not income. Well, Tim, you're absolutely right. My first year, remember I told you I did 10 of them? Mm -hmm. I cashed out over 300 grand. Yeah. And I went to my accountant and I said, man, Chuck, man, I'm really worried about all these taxes I'm going to owe. And he starts looking at my stuff and he starts laughing. And uh, I said, man, what's, you know, I'm getting anxiety at this point. Like, man, I want to mess with the government. And he said, Nate, you don't know any taxes. I said, what do you mean? He said, they're more all loans. I said, hold on, hold on. You mean a tenant's going to pay the property off for me? I got over 300,000 cash. I don't know any taxes. He said, yeah, I was alone, Nate. I said, why isn't everybody doing this? He said, I don't know. But that's how green I was, man. That was probably in 05 or 06. And so ever since then, man, I've showed a lot of people how to become wealthy in real estate. I'm doing the same thing, the bird. So when you're doing a hotel, you're doing the same thing, but we're burring hotels, making five million off each one or creating five or six, seven million dollars in value on each one. And then you're going to do a 70 percent, 75 percent refi, get all your investors capital back. You have no skin in the game. You probably even pulled some money out. And now you own a, a Class A, a Hilton, a Marriott, really nice assets. Absolutely. So one more thing, one more thing I want to share with, the, with your audience is, look, guys, and look, in its simplest form, all real estate is this. You're putting 20% of the money down. The bank's putting 80% of the money down. You're finding an asset that can make 7%. The bank's giving you the money at four. So you're making a three-point spread off the bank's money. So let's say they're putting 80% up. That's 20, 40, 60, 80. That's four times your three-point spread. That's 12% cash on cash. And then the bottom 20%, if it was a 7% return, you put the 7% on top of 12, you got a 19% cash on cash return. Now that's if it was an interest only, you know, some of that might be principal reduction. And then let's say also it went up 5%, right? So it went up from 100,000, 5%, 105,000. You only put up 20 grand, you take 20 grand, divide that by five grand, that's a 25% return. You put that 25 and that 19 together, you got a 44% return. Now, you guys may be too young to remember Bernie Madoff, but they said he was the biggest scam artist of all time. Yeah. He, he, got his the movie. People, he got his people 9% on average. Nine. Here we are getting 44%. And, 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 and they, they get 9%. And they think, oh, my God, he's so smart. Like, no, he's not. He was a fraudster. But we can show you how to get 40%, 30 40 I don't even look at a deal if it's not 26% internal rate of return year five. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to make money and build wealth off of one deal like you said absolutely the loan pay down it might cash flow it's going to appreciate and um i uh, you can find you can find a billion different ways to squeeze money out of it as well but it's just i you know some people don't know that and that's what we're here for we're man, absolutely man absolutely man and you guys are crushing it man you down on dolphin island man did you go fishing Oh yeah, we caught a um, a shark and a um, uh, some type of catfish. Um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but we caught a mini shark. My girlfriend Sarah caught a shark yesterday. Um, we a caught a catfish. Shark, a nerf shark. It, it wasn't a nerve shark. Um, you remember that? What that? What was that okay. catfish? Uh, it was a a fin tail. A fin tail catfish. Oh wow! Uh, Clyde wow. tail. Yeah. Sail tail. Um, and we've caught a few crabs down here that we've gotten to eat for dinner. So just, oh, that's awesome, man. 
a great That's time. Awesome, man. And Nate, um, thank you so much for hopping on here and just describing your vision and, and what, what you want to give back for people. And uh, so blessed to have you on here because we can just get our viewers, the students at UTC, anybody else listening to this, this amazing value that uh, I'm here speaking of today and, and what you're doing. And um, so blessed to have you on today. And Nate, um, before, uh, before you jump off of here, is there any, I mean, just advice. I mean, you, the whole Zoom call was just so much advice for our viewers to go take action on. Um, but is there any resources that you would recommend our viewers um, to go check out, whether it be books? I guess we'll just start off with books first. Any books that you would recommend um, uh, our students to go read? Yeah, there's plenty of good books, man. But you want to understand real estate. My partner has a book out uh, from Broke to Millions, and that has a story in there about it. It's a real simple, real layman book that'll break down all the formulas and cap rates and everything else. And um, that's a good book. You can get that from BrokeToMillions.com. Um, and two other ones, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's all about mindset thinking. The one that really changed my mind, though, because I grew up poor, man, was um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I didn't just read that book. I had to become that book and I had to become so proactive. Uh, the only drawback I'll say to that book is that sometimes you become so proactive and it's hard. You got to balance that with a relationship because you're always looking to solve problems and move on. And then you're in a relationship with somebody and it's not necessarily that. So um, that's the only thing I would say, you know, we got the BRRRR invest uh, group um, and we got plenty of uh, our affiliate links are on natebarger.com which is my name and, you know, just joining groups, ask questions, uh, get around people. You guys are in college, man, which is great, but figure out early on what you want to do. Get out here. And I'm going to tell you, man, straight up, go do real estate. You'll be a millionaire in five years. You may say, I hate it. You know, Hey, that's okay. But let me tell you something. Once you become a millionaire, then you can quit. You know, but if you go down on the traditional job path and you're sitting out here stuck and you don't have any clear direction, if you got clear direction on what you want to do in life, go for it. But the most important thing is that you're happy. It's not the money. Um, but if you want to help people, you need money to help people. It's find your passion and do what you love to do every day, man. And just treat people fair, man. And, and remember back to when you struggle with something always remember that time when you struggle with something and that person that's asking you could have been you back then so just be kind and nice man let's love each other we're only on earth for a very short time absolutely absolutely nate thank you for that and uh tim do you have anything else to ask uh nate before we uh end this amazing call no, I think that's about it. I just, I appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us and uh, you know, ultimately talk to the listeners. But uh, what's the best way for people to learn more about you? I know you mentioned natebarger.com. You're starting to get active on Instagram. Is that a good way? You want to plug in? Yeah, Insta Instagram's hard. I mean, I got TikTok. Um, you know, I just started in February, so I don't have very many. I only got like 26,000 people on um, TikTok. Um, I only got a, a couple thousand on Instagram, but YouTube, I got a lot of YouTube videos, over 100 videos on there um, at Nate Barger. And th that's good information. That'll tell you the one, it's called the million dollar mistake. That's buying and flipping versus buying and holding. Because when you're holding in properties, man, that's where the true wealth comes from. And um, yeah, the BRRRR Invest uh, group on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you very much. I think we're just about wraps it up. 
Well, guys, man, I want to thank you guys for your time, man. If you guys ever need anything from me, uh, man, if I'm down there in Chattanooga, man, you guys said Chattanooga, right? Yep. Man, I'm going to hit you guys up and take you out for dinner, for lunch, for breakfast, wherever. Hey, and listen, man, enjoy spring break while you're young. That's the one thing I wish I would have did more of, man. I only went to one spring break. Man, I had the best time. I met these people from Alabama. We'd go down, man. We, we just, I had an amazing time down there. Panama City Beach. But I think they kind of shut that down now. <laughs> yeah, you, something you get, like that. Yeah, yeah. But you guys enjoy yourself while you're young, man. And, um, you know, just get your goals. Focus on your goals, man. But do some real estate. You got to, did you guys know that 88% of millionaires are self-made? Mm-hmm. Did you know 90% of them came through real estate? Bam. So I ain't saying wealth is everything. What's my partner Mike say? Look, man, I ain't saying money's everything, but it's right up there with oxygen. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome, Nate. Well, well, thanks again, man. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. Hunter, uh, man, I know you didn't talk much, man, but you look amazing over there, man. Uh, well, you're at College of Business for University of Tennessee. That's awesome, man. What are you going to college for? <laughs> you're gonna have to delete this part of the podcast. No, so, uh, that's the students, okay. The, these uh, the students hopped on my uh, my PMI to use it. I'm actually their professor. I look super young, but uh, yeah, I'm the finance professor uh, for the real estate club, and uh, so I, they run this thing. So I was kind of letting them do most of it, but. Um, uh, they'll probably cut me out of this whole thing anyway, but, uh, no, I they're not, you, man, cut it out. I, I thought you, I thought None you of that. I mean, I've, I've listened to two of these now and I just have learned a lot myself as a professor. Uh, you know, I moved around a little bit as a professor. So now that I'm in an area that I'm going to be in for a long time, I'm tenured. I'd like to do a little bit more real estate. My family's always done real estate. So, I mean, it, it's, it's inspirational to hear, uh, some of these stories and and your yours especially. I, I really want to thank you, and uh, I I do think that God has blessed you. And uh, yeah, and I absolutely, We've been blessed to hear your story. So thank hey, you, man. Well, 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 thank you. And hey, why don't you? And, and just an idea. Why don't you put together, let's say, your class, freshman crowd, whatever. You guys syndicate some capital, right? And go out and buy some real deals together. Oh yeah, we we want we want, we would love to do that. So um, I think that there's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of this is probably you know hearing stories and learning. The other half of it's networking and finding a group of people that they can lean on and work together. And uh, you know it, you know that that's really what the world's about. You talk about relationships. You know, yep. if you, you got to build relationships just like you got to build wealth. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would tell you that relationships are way more important than wealth, you know, because relationships, man, you know, it, it just, it's so vital and so important. It's communication. You die without communication. But man, if there's anything I can ever help with, guys, I'm really, I'm really uh, just been blessed. And I'm, you know, with real estate, man, I can see things that other people can't see because I've just been doing it so much. And just, I see, you know, I can see what to do with this deal and, you know, we just finished up a deal that I think we're all in for a million eight that's going to praise north of five million. And, you know, that's a little deal, but we, it just, that was a deal that was on the market that everybody looked at and they could, I was like, nah, I know exactly what to do with that deal. So, um, but man, I appreciate everything you're doing for the kids and guys, thank you so much again for the time. 
you guys ever need anything, reach out to me. And I hope this isn't the last time we talk. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll roll out the red carpet for you.